Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Danny. Hello. Uh, got bad news. Oh, no. Um, we can't make any jokes on the podcast anymore. What, you know, why? we previously made comments saying intended to be amusing. Yeah. It's because of um, contemporary woke culture. Ugh, no. Yeah. I've been informed by the director of Joker, Todd Phillips, uh, that owing to cancel culture, woke culture, snowflakes, uh, SJWs, and other assorted um, saboteurs, uh, we can't make jokes anymore. They just won't land. If anything actually succeeds in being funny, you'll be arrested. And if you're not arrested, it's because your, your jokes weren't funny. Wow. So I don't know if you've tried to watch The Hangover recently, but if you watch it now, like <laughs> it's all been redacted because it's too it's too offensive for the snowflakes. Just your you know the jackboots would come down, smash open your doors. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the jackboots belonging to very easily offended, sort of timid people who can't can't bear to go outside, but are also sort of paramilitary um, like soldiers. And, and policemen, they will they will drag you off and throw you into prison. Shit. So just, I just wanted to warn you about that. So this podcast okay. is going to get intensely, intensely serious now because that's the only mode that is possible to be in. Well, you know, we're like four years in by this point, it's about time we grew up. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Um, we've we, it's, it's already a bit sort of silly, isn't it? Yeah. Every like it's just lame. We're hurtling towards our thirties, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's time to move on, yeah. not by not doing the podcast anymore. But just by totally transforming its tone and style. Yes, and, I agree. And content. So what have you been up to lately uh, in in a film-related way? If you've got any film comments. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to just hear about your life generally. Well, I, don't, I, was, I don't know about you, but I was shocked to my core <laughs> recently. Were you? Yeah, because I heard that um, Martin Scorsese, who I had assumed fucking loved the Marvel films. Yeah. I just had a picture of him... With a big box of popcorn. Marvel just Marty. Chowing down, watching Thor the Dark World on repeat. Yeah. But he's come out. He <laughs> said <laughs> so he doesn't consider them cinema. That and, was that was shocking. And to I, me. you know, I took to Twitter and I was like, no, no, oh, come on. <laughs> Stop this. And uh, yeah, he just doesn't seem to be willing to. Uh, I posted it. I don't think. Does he have a Twitter account, Martin Scorsese? No, it doesn't have a Twitter was, account. I was putting dot at Marty Scorsese, and that just wasn't an account. Uh, but I posted a long thread um, explaining to him why they are cinema, why they're better than his films, and I hope that he reads it. I did thoroughly enjoy the people's shock and dismay that like 
who actually thought that what I was gonna say is that he regularly like references like Bresson and Vincent Minnelli and stuff or like his jam would be like yeah Spider-Man Far From Home or whatever I did I was a bit nonplussed by that whole conversation it was like all over my my Twitter feed that day everybody was talking about it and it was like one of the it was one of those things where people talk about other people talking about it almost more than the thing itself sure, yeah, yeah. it was like the reactions to the reactions to the reactions was the sort of like main topic of conversation i don't know i mean he obviously makes totally different types of films to uh, mass-produced uh, blockbusters mainly intended to sell toys so he probably wouldn't like them just didn't <laughs> seem like a bit of a um, dog bites man uh, story to me I was really enjoying uh, like James Gunn's tweets about it. Was, he, oh, James Gunn was upset, right? Yeah, and he like said like you know when um, uh, Passion of the Christ came out and was uh, boycotted by some people. Like, I was a huge defender of that movie. It's like first of all, who were you in 1991? Passion like, of the Christ? Oh, you mean uh, Last sorry, Temptation? Last of Temptation Christ. of the Christ. It's like I don't think that's ex- the same <laughs> as like an old man who doesn't like Guardians of the Galaxy two. It's like, there's such a false equivalence. It's like, yeah, you're really on the fucking, you know, cusp of Scott being cancelled. He's, he's, not, he's not displaying, like, director solidarity or something. Yeah. I defended you when you were being criticised, and therefore, even though we have no personal relationship, you should be saying my <laughs> movies again. I was basically like, yeah, the weird. He got, some people like, were like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. And he sort of had a, some follow-up tweets. But it was a bit like, we're all in this together. We're all making films. The real enemies Come are... Come on, like, we're both directors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm sure he'll be fine. I feel like Gunn's okay. He's, he's fine. He's already been cancelled once, yeah. and he recovered from that, so... It's a bit like, yeah, we're both directors. Like, yeah, but this man's made some of the most acclaimed films of the last 50 years, and you're the guy who wrote Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed. So <laughs> That's cinema. a snob about it, but, yeah. you know, you're not quite in the same leagues. Uh, the, can leagues, I, the same leagues, the, the same leagues, the leagues. The leagues. Uh, can I recommend to you a couple of items of real cinema that I've seen recently? Yeah. Um, a couple of gems that I watched on Netflix. Firstly, the movie The Host, starring Saoirse Ronan. Saoirse Ronan. Saoirse Ronan. Um, directed, actually I can't remember who it's directed by, but uh, it's based on a book by... Uh, Andrew Steph- Nichol? That is correct. I believe that is true. Yeah. You're always on it. <laughs> Thank God you're co-hosting this podcast. No worries. Um, yeah, Andrew Nichol, and it's uh, based on Stephanie Meyer book, the author of Twilight. It's another sci-fi film. Saoirse Ronan plays somebody who's like taken over by an alien. Uh, that they have a sort of inner dialogue that like the alien controls her body, what? but she's sort of still in there talking to the alien and stuff. But also, the aliens have taken over the entire world, and like there's just a out like a few like a little outpost of a few humans left. Very high concept stuff. Uh, quite sort of boring a lot of just like guys hanging out in rooms and like a weird love triangle between the alien in her head one sexy boring guy and then like Saoirse Ronan's human character and a different sexy boring guy so that generates some uh, you know stirred loins or whatever some, sure. <laughs> sure some loins are stirred <laughs> some loins get stirred but anyway the thing that I did enjoy about it is that the um, society that the aliens establish on the earth um, is something resembling uh, full communism it's like uh I mean, from what you can tell, I don't know what kind of political system they have or whether there's a democracy. Probably not. They've got a kind of hive mind. So I don't, they probably don't do elections or whatnot. Um, but it is a society with no um, uh, private property and no, and no uh, prices uh, in a way that is depicted as sort of positive. 
Oh, cool. So rather than it being like, you know, they're all eating the same kind of Soviet gray soup because that's all that's available or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like there's like a big like warehouse kind of thing that's just called like shop or something. And people just you just go in there, load everything up onto a trolley and then just leave with it. <laughs> I was like, that looks kind of cool. And there's like a bit early on when she um uh uh the social own alien like wants to steal a car, but she just hails a car down. It's been driven by like an alien controlled human. And then she's just like, I need this. And the guy's like, well, of course, here you go. And he just gets out the car and gives it to her because that's the kind of nice society they live in. Like, there's no conflict wow. anymore. Like the aliens turn up in Earth, take over everybody, kill the humans inside the bodies, uh, and then just run society with no conflict or war. It's I, like, for one, welcome our alien overlords. I absolutely welcome <laughs> the alien overlords. They seem pretty positive. So good, uh, good message in that film. Uh, humans bad, aliens good. Uh, and the other film that I thought had uh, a powerfully uh, correct <laughs> message is the 2018 Robin Hood starring Taron Egerton, which I think nobody went to see in the cinema. Um, but I, I've now watched it. So, you know, wasn't paying a huge amount of attention, but I got the gist. Uh, wacky costumes, semi-contemporary for some reason. The Crusades are depicted as being like the Gulf War. It's very odd. So that's got like a weird political edge to it. But the, the reason that it's worth watching is that uh, it really emphasizes the wealth inequality aspect of Robin Hood, which is quite central to the legend, but I feel like somewhat skated over in that rather than, like a lot of the time, rather than depicting like the whole top of society is bad, it's really just like the Sheriff of Nottingham. Yeah. You know, and like the sort of class aspect isn't really dwelt upon. It's just like, you know, good uh, commoners and like, you know, the bad Sheriff they're fighting, whatever. Whereas this film, there's much more, there's like, at, you know, they talk about social class and stuff. Cool. There's, a, there's a reference to, uh, like, Robin Hood says something like, who wants to redistribute some wealth or something? <laughs> and I was like, you know, sure. Yeah. Good. And it's got a really chewy Ben Mendelsohn performance uh, going full uh, evil. Is, it, is he, you know, is he Alan Rickmaning it? Uh, yeah, he is He is very much Alan Rickmaning it and having a, having a very good time. He is someone who's not ever just picking up the paycheck, you know. No, he's he's there. He's doing it. He's got a job to do. He's a real professional, and he delivers. So kudos to Ben. <laughs> in my opinion, the man's a real star. Cool. I'll add, I'll add him to my watch list. You should do that, Danny. Um, and while you're doing that, <laughs> uh, could you explain to me what the hell this podcast is about? It'd be my pleasure. So if you've only listened for the first time, 199 episodes in. Film Chad is about the superhero Sam and his little psychic Danny. And when Sam and Danny get a tip that Commodore Schmidlap is in danger aboard his yacht, they launch a mission using the Film Chad copter. As Sam descends on the Film Chad ladder to land on the yacht, it suddenly vanishes beneath him. He rises out of the sea with a shark attacking his leg. After Sam dislodges it with the Film Chad shark repellent, the shark explodes. Sam and Danny head back to Commissioner Gordon's office, where they deduce that the tip was set up by the United Underworld, a gathering of four of the most powerful villains in the city. The Joker, the Penguin, the Riddler, and the BBC Radio 5 film review podcast. <laughs> That's what I would be saying. This is a adaptation of the first 10 minutes of Batman the movie from 1966. This is just a podcast where we talk about and review Sam. Review Sam! Sam, you're looking great. End of podcast. Uh, where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me, a man who dresses up as a stylish dude and fights injustice through legal means. Oh. Like, uh, I don't know, campaigning in that. Thanks, Pretty man. woke. Sam Foster. Thanks for that flashing description of me. On this week's episode, uh, we've got a bunch of reviews that showcase the glorious diversity of cinema, all the way from good films to bad films. 
Uh, Danny will be giving his verdict on The Day Shall Come. Is that what it's called? Yeah. The, uh, I'll be asking that. I'll be asking that after every film I, I mentioned that you're reviewing. Uh, the latest film from the veteran satirist Chris Morris. His reputation has only grown in recent years thanks to his decision not to get a Twitter account. Following on from Four Lines, Morris has made another barbed farce about the uh, war on terror, this time centering on a gang of eccentrics framed as terrorists by the FBI. Uh, if you want to see another film about a fight of American institution, you could do worse than watch Hustlers, which Danny will also be reviewing in which various unsympathetic Wall Street bros are fleeced by Jennifer Lopez and other canny strippers. And if you want to see another film featuring wanker bankers getting what's coming to them, you could do worse than watch Joker, Todd Phillips' award-winning, intensely serious take on the classic Batman villain starring a very sad Joaquin Phoenix having a tough time in society, uh, which I'll be reviewing later on. And finally, if you want to see another film about a glum-looking A-lister with daddy issues, you could do worse than watch Ad Astra, the cerebral space adventure starring Brad Pitt. I'll also be reviewing that. Could be a long episode, but I'll be speaking quite quickly. Plus, we've got Matrix sequel casting announcements, and delightfully, our favorite franchise, Kingsman, is back in the news in a way that we can easily make reflect badly on Matthew Vaughn. So looking forward to talking about that. All that should leave just enough time for me to announce my latest film, Bickle. A brand new take on the iconic character of Travis Bickle, as you've never seen him before, shot in the style of Joel Schumacher, the director of Batman and Robin. That George Clooney Batman. Uh, you think you know Bickle, the alienated violent loner and protagonist of the new Hollywood classic Taxi Driver, now relive his most famous scenes and lines through the eyes of Joel Schumacher as Bickle dons a series of wacky costumes and makes bad puns. For example, was some part of the film, he's like, you run a bit of a Bickle. <laughs> I wasn't really ready for the De Niro impression. You can do a better one than me. I don't know if I can. Can you say you're in a bit of a bickle, like like De Niro? Not, uh, yeah, you're in a bit of a. It's a bit Larry David. You're in a bit of a bickle. Bit of a bickle. You're in a bit of a bickle. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Bit of a bickle. My impression is mainly just sort of doing the smirking and the. It's a very visual impression. Yeah. Doesn't really translate to podcast form. Oh well. You can you can I invite our listeners to work on that at home. Look in the mirror, shirtless with the. Uh, a gun holster and ask <laughs> if you're in a bit of a bickle as Robert De Niro a little homework for you news we didn't get to cover uh, chief among them was there's going to be a matrix four and it's going to be helmed by lana wachowski lily wachowski not involved for whatever reason but lana's helming it and she has written the script along with novelist david mitchell and someone called alexander hemmen and it's set for a 2021 release they've got keanu's back carrie on moss is back and joining them are god this is a awesome name yeah yeah Abdul Mateen II, who played Black Manta in the Aquaman movie. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah. I mean, he's got an awesome name. I don't really rem- remember Black Manta that he was, much. He was, he, I thought he was pretty good as Black Manta. But yeah, it was not a great, a great role. <laughs> not a great role, but, you know, yeah, he did a good job. He's going to be in it. Neil Patrick Harris is going to be in it. And Jada Pinkett Smith, who played Niobe in The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions, has recently uh, signed on to reprise her role. And... 
Yeah, it's out of all... I mean, we're living in a time of every franchise from the 90s refuses to die and it shall come back and every IP must be milked for every last dime. But the fact that it's uh, the original director or one of the original directors is kind of exciting and uh, it would be a major Hollywood movie directed by a trans woman, which is a first. Absolutely, that's cool. And yeah, because the Wachowskis have transitioned... Does make me sort of like reflect on the Matrix, and it is kind of it was obviously ahead of its time in lots of different ways, but it's also quite pleasingly diverse. It's obviously quite LGBT friendly, like the sort of uh, Zion rave scene is a bit like a sort of gay nightclub <laughs> <laughs> like fantasy. Yeah, and um, also there's a bit of Matrix trivia I learned quite recently. But the character of Switch from the original Matrix, famous for her iconic delivery of the line. Not like this. 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 Uh, in the original script, she was supposed to be male in the real world and female in the Matrix because of the idea it's the residual digital projection of your real self. Yeah, yeah. So if you were trans in the Matrix, you would be the gender you feel like you identify as. You identify yeah. as. Um, but Warner Brothers apparently cut that out so they made her into an androgynous character but i guess now in 2021 like the matrix is kind of utopian even though it's a dystopian right they're all living in a dream world you can be whoever you want and yeah kind of, i like the whole wachowskis they're very kind of open-hearted filmmakers Absolutely, and there's yeah. no cynicism to them and yeah I, I just kind of like their mode of filmmaking definitely yeah i think um that uh, aspect of uh, being able to, you know, be whoever you see yourself as in the Matrix is not really something that the movies took full advantage of. It's more like, wow, I can have this beautiful tie clip if I, you know, yeah. if I wanted to. I can get the haircut that I, you know, all the sunglasses that I really want. I can know kung fu. <laughs> I can know kung fu. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, that that's maybe that's something that this this movie will get into. Don't know. The only the only sort of danger I think is that it will be like one of those things that's become a reflection of itself rather than something that's about, you know, like The Matrix is a movie that is obviously heavily influenced by previous films, but um, is also saying something itself. Yeah. And it will be the challenge of the fourth movie to be saying something that isn't just about The Matrix, if you know yeah, what I mean. Like, absolutely. Uh, and the, uh, you know, in, in one sense, it's not in a totally dissimilar position to like Star Wars The Force Awakens, and that it's coming off the back of not especially well-regarded sequels after like a previous films that or film that was seen as being amazing. Uh, so it's like not like anyone's gonna be like it's tramping over the beautiful memory of the Matrix Revolutions because people kind of think <laughs> that film is a bit shit. But at the same time, like those sequels are not films that are just trying to retread what the Matrix did, but they're trying to expand the universe, like break new ground, do different things with that mm. you know world that they've created. And uh, the version of the sequel that I wouldn't want to see is a film that's like just referencing the classic bits, you know, like the the camera swinging around while someone's in like, you know, jumps up in the air or whatever, or like dodging bullets or yeah, you know, yeah, just yeah. like referencing the lines from before or anything like that. So, uh, so you never know. Also, there's an opportunity for them to call this film The Matrix, but the A, the A is a four. Yeah, that'd be good. So that's... There's, that's a pretty good reason to make the film. I really just because like the phrase like red pilled has been like co opted by the alt right and mm. like the Matrix is like a weirdly like a lot of conservative people really like it. I really hope it's just like a 
full-blown sense eight lgbtq loving like, absolutely the yeah. most like the thing that would make uh you know ben shapiro shit blood or whatever. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> but like 200 million i don't even care if it's a mess if it's like jupiter ascending if it's just fun why not i mean I de- it definitely should include like eight people from all over the world having like a mental orgy together or something yes that zion rave sex scene wasn't explicit enough no I mean, Should no, it? I was thinking of the met, this sort of like shared yeah, mental orgy. Yeah, that's what I mean. They're, they're, yeah. they're upping it every time. Oh, I see. The Wachowski. Yeah. So I think the next, and Bound has a really explicit sex scene. Right. Uh, gay sex scene. So I think it needs to be even more boundary pushing. It needs an explicit gay sex scene is what we're saying. Explicit gay group sex scene. Yeah. Like hundreds and hundreds of people. <laughs> millions. <laughs> millions even. Millions. That's ambitious. Well, <laughs> they got the budget. Bill- billions. They got the budget for it, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, they need that sort of uh, crowd creating technology. They need to like push that to like bleeding edge levels to create these scenes. Yeah, at <laughs> <laughs> their epic CGI sex simulation. Yeah, why not? I mean, they 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 we've got a photo realistic twenty year old like an unofficial catchphrase for this podcast. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of a single reason why not. Yeah, you know what a cinema for if not to create wonders that the the human eyes has never be- beheld. <laughs> exactly. Do you like? Would you like there to be more leather than before, or, or less leather? That's the thing, you know. What's, the, a, what's the what's the fashion going to be like? Yeah, in the exactly. Matrix it's such a product of the nineties, isn't it? It's so sort of influenced by rave culture and like almost like BDSM and stuff and warehouse parties. So I don't know. I'm not cool enough. What are the kids wearing these days? Sunglasses aren't aren't as cool now as they used to be. I feel like yeah. they were they were really in at the time, and I don't know if they're quite as much of a byword for coolness these days what's what's cool now uh i think just normal glasses <laughs> <laughs> lensless glasses <laughs> just clear glasses yeah maybe they'll be wearing glasses when they go into the matrix but not when they're not when they're in zion that'd be such sort of crap <laughs> you could be anything in the matrix if somebody with slightly better eyesight just got just snazzy you. eyewear I always wanted these pair of glasses, and I could. <laughs> and now I can have them finally. What cooler frames? Yeah. Brilliant. Just a suggestion. I'm not responsible for the film. They can do whatever they want. All right. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So now it's time to intersect cinema and politics in a way that some people might find daring. Let's do it. Um, the film Kingsman the Secret Service, which we have spoken frequently about and how much we dislike it, has reappeared in the news as a scene from it has been edited by Trump fans to show Donald Trump taking out some of his enemies in an epic way. So if you've seen the film Kingsman, and I'm sure you have, you might recall the scene in which um, Colin Firth's character uh, brutally murders uh, a bunch of evangelicals in an American church. It's like an extended sort of single take kind of thing where he just like horribly murders a bunch of people. But it's awesome. Though, but it's it? fucking it's awesome. awesome when he just murders people for no reason. Yeah. And it's, uh, what is it? It's like a famous guitar solo. It's from, uh, Freebird. Freebird. Yeah. 
sort of it's, it's epic. You're loving it. You're watching cinema. You're like, this is fucking baller. It's the it's the it's the posh English guy, but he's gone fucking berserk. <laughs> Great, <laughs> I'm loving this. So uh, and this has been edited digitally to put Trump's face on Colin First's body, which I'm sure Colin finds revolting. Uh, and then various other faces have been replaced by Trump's enemies. This is a description of it in the Guardian article. In the edited video, Trump's face is digitally superimposed onto Firth's body, and he is depicted shooting, stabbing, and attacking adversaries in the, quote, church of fake news. It includes a scene of him setting the 2020 Democratic hopeful Bernie Sanders on fire, stabbing the comedian Rosie O'Donnell in the face, and throwing the California congresswoman Maxine Waters out of a window. At the end of the video, Trump sticks an axe in CNN and then walks off smirking, admiring the scene of dead bodies across the floor. Um, Meghan McCain called the video disgusting and disturbing. Uh, Her father, the late Senator John McCain, is specifically targeted in the video with Trump hitting him in the back of the head with the gun. Uh, so various people have uh, have uh, condemned this awful video, but Trump himself, he will, it says, the, the headline of this article, outcry after Trump fails to condemn fake video of him shooting opponents. He just simply will not condemn it. It's all they're asking about in the press conferences. They're like, Trump, have you not seen this? This is awful. And he's just like, I love it. It's brilliant. It's a big, beautiful video. It's the best <laughs> thing ever. It's perfect. Video. It's perfect. <laughs> um, Danny, how dangerous... Do you think this video is? How appalling do you think Trump's comments are? What's your take? First, they came for the Kingsman franchise. And <laughs> I said nothing. Uh, I don't know. It's, the thing I find funny about it is like Kingsman as a movie is like really bad politics. And the kind of idiot, bigoted hicks that Colin Firth murders are kind of like how you like... Uh, he like, kills the deplorables, basically. He kills the deplorables. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's his base, right? So it's kind of confused... In that respect. Well, it's ironic, I would yeah. say. They might be aware that the movie, you know, has the movie is very o- overtly contemptuous of, uh, I don't know, right-wing, like, tr- uh, Americans. I think it's the wrong uh, extended fight scene if you're a Trump fan. Put him on the old boy corridor scene, like, loads of people trying to get him. He gets a few hits, but he takes them all down. He gets a knife in the back. He's still standing at the end. That's a real cineast suggestion, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Have you considered the classic old boy Have corridor you considered the chasing from the Yellow Sea? For, um, <laughs> the next Trump video. Um, yeah, what do you make of it? Um, You're appalled? I am. Delighted. I'm disgusted and appalled. No, I think that, like, uh, it's suitable in a way because um, it's obviously, you know, uh, crass um, and tasteless. And the film is yeah. in a way that the film thinks is kind of you know it's really smug and clever about but it's probably just bad i don't know it's very amoral uh uh and elitist snobbish film so it does it's quite easy to adapt into something with like horrible politics Mm. um so i don't know maybe maybe it does say something about uh the 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 movie itself that it could be so easily um taken and it's you know taken and changed in that way we need to make a, a video for bernie obviously to fight back against this trump video all right what scene do we use uh to put his head on uh how about how about bernie as the t-rex from jurassic park and trump's yeah. on the toilet <laughs> yeah <laughs> Somewhere. perfect yeah yeah exactly and then at the end um it's like the t-rex roaring right at the end of the film and the banner comes down and says bernie 2020 yeah. <laughs> genius any uh, other thoughts how about it's that scene from um endgame where all the women team up but it's just all the democrat candidates 
and uh, they all team up to like. Uh, oh, that's sick! And like, instead of the the gauntlet, it's like the Constitution. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> it's the Bill of Rights. Yeah. How about this? How about this? It's all of the Democratic candidates, liberal news anchors, and late night talk show hosts um, hugging each other in the airport at the end of Love Actually. Yes. And that's that's like this is how politics should be. And then they're all hugging each other, crying, thinking about it. Yeah, this is, is beautiful. And then like, who's who's the sort of what, who's the most bad person in Love Actually? Does anyone ever get like comeuppance in Love Actually? Any bad people getting comeuppance? Alan Rickman's the the baddest man. I he doesn't guess. really get no. He doesn't really get any comeuppance though. So just, yeah. I don't know. So we can't. It's just positivity. We won't we won't put any dunking in that one. Yeah. It'll just be a nice scene of you know. Yeah, we go high. You know. We have gone high. Yes. Yeah, they made a video of people being stabbed. We made a video about people hugging each other. Actually, maybe it would be better if they weren't all Democrats, if they were all hugging, like, you they know. Across the aisles. They across the aisles. So they're all, like, Republicans, like Republican senators. Like, yes. it's like Lindsey Graham <laughs> uh, hugging uh, Trevor Noah or something like that. <laughs> like, Beautiful. Yeah. yeah, it's like Ellen DeGeneres and George Bush, right? We got a, exactly, we got a, exactly. Um, perfect. That yeah. should be in it. Yeah, that should definitely be in it. Yeah, that was so beautiful. This is moving. There was quite a funny thing I saw on Twitter about. Um, uh, so I should probably explain to listeners if you're not aware of this story. So Ellen DeGeneres, uh, the the talk show host, um, posted a, a picture of her, or like a video of herself on Instagram uh, at a baseball game with uh, George Bush. And people were like, how, you know, why are you hanging out with him? He's awful. And then she did this monologue on her show where she sort of fought back against the trolls and said it was an example of great liberal tolerance and being able to spend time with people you disagree with and so on. It's like, you know, not really touching on the fact that it's not that, you know, he like has slightly off-color views, but he's responsible for like hundreds of thousands of deaths. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably why you shouldn't be hanging out with him. You know, he's like oversaw torture programs and so on um but uh but anyway uh like under this clip like um i saw saw someone post on twitter like all of these other celebrities kind of applauding her like orlando bloom in in the comments on instagram being like star of carnival road (laughs) like like you go ellen kill him with love or something it's like jesus fucking awful these people are terrible (laughs) pick a side You know, fucking elite solidarity. A Nazi is just a liberal who hasn't had enough hugs. Exactly. Isn't he? Exactly. Isn't he he the Nazi I've been created in this? (laughs) He he is. He is. He is, yeah. This have you actually seen this Trump Kingsman video? No, I saw a screenshot of it. It's really covering a lot of ground. Like Peter Fonda's one of the people in it for some reason. Rachel Maddow, uh, Vox, like just tons of tons (laughs) of stuff. Peter Fonda? Peter Fonda, that Trump's biggest villain. I don't know. He's dead. I know John McCain's dead. Just Maybe he's, 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 he's already killing people who are dead. On his deathbed, was he like, <laughs> "God damn, Donald Trump"? His last tweet was, <laughs> "Fuck Trump." Fuck Trump. Yeah, I don't know. No, I'm appalled. Me too. Let's review some films. Yes. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it oscillatingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off All right. So, The Day Shall Come. This is directed by Chris Morris. Him, He, legendary British comedian and director of one of a film, Four Lions, which is excellent. And nine years ago now, and everyone's been wondering, what is it he been up to? He's been making this. And it's written by him and Jesse Armstrong. And in it, uh, 
Marshawn Davis plays Moses Al-Shabazz. He's an impoverished leader of the Star of Six, a religious community comprising of him, his wife, and a few other guys. Uh, and they live in Miami, and he preaches a black uprising against the accidental white dominance of the world. But he is non-violent and very anti-firearms, and he believes that God speaks to him through animals. It's very clear early on in the movie that he has mental health problems. And unbeknownst to him, the FBI have targeted him as a not a threat, but a potential candidate for the anti-terrorist program where they've got this bizarre, incredibly immoral system where instead of finding actual credible threats, they find people who fit the profile, the profile being not whites on the fringes of society and want society to change in some way and then basically entrap them to do something terroristy enough so they can uh, arrest them and then they seem like they're doing their jobs. Here's a clip of Moses attempting to sell nukes, which he doesn't actually have, to a group of neo-Nazis. What materials do you got? Uranium. Uranium? To put hair on your chest and make it fall off. Where did you get uranium? Ah, yes. Ah, yes. Islamic State? Not the tax office. Easy mistake to make. You have nukes from the Islamic State. Yes. How much do you want for it? A hundred thousand dollars. Whoa, 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 Moses. It's way too much. Money. I'll do a hundred K. So the trailer and the premise of this film didn't get me too excited, uh, but it's Chris Morris, who's the last good one of <laughs> that group of people. Of all 90s comedians. 90s comedians, every day they reduce the core of their own obituaries by talking. And uh, Four Lines was amazing, so I was keen to see it, but my hot take is that it sort of lived up to my middling uh, expectations, and it's quite a middling film. And the, f the film is, is quite simple in its aims, and it feels like the big thing Christmas wants you, uh, wants you to get out of it is just to be informed about this completely nuts system and how morally reprehensible the FBI are. But it basically comes down to... The big takeaway that the FBI are racist and corrupt, which, uh, you know, is obvious from all of history. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think it's really telling you that much. And it feels not dated because this stuff is still going on. But if it had come out 10 years ago, I think it would be the exact same movie. I don't know if that's a critique necessarily, but it's very war on terror. It's not like we're beyond that. And maybe it's good that movies are being made that address it because it's like, oh, Trump and Brexit and all things have, uh, you know... Um, yeah, it's like uh, so, so everything has changed, but actually, like all yeah. of these institutions are still operating the same way. Exactly. I also think the film, basically, the structure of it doesn't quite work because you see the FBI manipulating events, and then you see Moses oblivious to all of this and sort of finding himself in these situations where he doesn't really know what's going on. And because it's clear that he's got mental health problems. It makes the story inherently kind of dramatically weak because the protagonist doesn't have any agency and as an audience you're always nine steps ahead of him so you're kind of watching a car crash in slow motion and then it becomes hard to engage with too much because everything's so inevitable it's unlike four lines where the climax of that movie is like thrilling because oh my god it's actually happening but this is like, oh, of course this is happening because right yeah yeah how is one guy who uh, isn't quite a you know uh, what a few tools short of a tool shed, shed. <laughs> <laughs> gonna compete with the FBI 
And the big emotion I got out of it was just like one of sadness. It's a very kind of sad movie. And I think it ends on the right note. And it's like morals are very uh, on point. Uh, but I didn't get much out of it. The most successful thing about the film, I think, is uh, Marshall Davis' performance. He's really charming and brilliant. And it's similar to Four Lions in that Chris Morris, despite being famous as this really dark, edgy comedian, is very good at sort of small domestic scenes. But like all the family scenes in Four Lions are very affecting. Hmm. It's the same here. And like the best scene in the movie is Moses hang out with his wife, Venus, played by Danielle Brooks. The FBI scenes are less successful when it's all about that kind of double think and like semantics and hypocrisy. And I think part of it is like it's slightly old hat by this point. Like the thick of it is like 16 years ago, Veep is old, like all this kind of stuff. And I think it's like partly not as good as that stuff and partly I'm just a bit bored by that mode of humor. And it reminded me a bit of The Death of Stalin where it's not that funny, but also... You're not sure if it's trying to be funny. Uh, I found it just quite tonally flat. And uh, it also has a strange ending where the credits have like uh, sort of facts about what happened to all the characters. And it's like, but it's a fiction film. Like it's a fiction story based on reality about a real person who's like trapped in a fiction, not of his making. But it seems just a bit confused. And I was like, this movie would probably make more sense as a mockumentary than... Mm. You know, or, or indeed, maybe a documentary. Or a documentary, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, quite a meh film. It is also very short. It's like 85 minutes. But I think that's kind of like almost telling that there isn't quite enough story to justify it just about gets away with it. So yeah, just it accomplishes its aims, but they're quite uh, low and simple. It's, in- like, it's interesting because the thing that it, he is... Like, because what you say about it, this feeling like old hat or whatever, like we understand this, but like the actual substance of what the film is depicting is like just shockingly awful. Yeah. And um, I don't know, maybe this is a film that c- could possibly have more impact in America. I, I don't really know. But there's this really odd thing um, in the US that it feels like these um, homeland security um uh, operations these institutions like the fbi or the cia or like various arms of the state uh their reputation seem to be like so incredibly low that uh, revealing horrific things that they have perpetrated seems to have like no impact but at the same time that like liberal reverence for american institutions seems completely undamaged yeah yeah and this this the, the thing about like it being this quite war and terror era film like I feel like there's a bit of a spate of these. I don't know if it's just that we're noticing them, but like this movie, The Reports, about the uh, CIA torture report, which um, I saw at London Film Festival, and there's the film Official Secrets coming out. That's about this um, war on terror. Um, and uh, it's a bit of a random one, but like Sicario 2, <laughs> I remember when I saw that, that was a very like, sure. you know, CIA black, CIA black sites, yeah, and Vice and stuff. So there's a lot of like revisiting that part of American history in this like incredibly critical way that's like, you know, devastating indictments of aspects of uh, uh, the American states. And it's odd that it feels so without any edge, you know, and I and I don't know. Is it, yeah, are we just fatigued? Are we just fatigued or like, what, like, what is it? It's like, it's like pushing at an open door, but at the same time, I do feel like um, American liberals don't, you know, have, have not got like a, a complete amount of distrust and contempt for their own institutions. Cause like, that's kind of what makes them liberals that, you know, 
yeah um is that they think they're sort of somehow good you know despite all the evidence to the contrary um so it's a bit of an odd one it's also like weird that like you know it's been nine years since four lions and i guess the the subject matter like what four lions was depicting like the word edgy is kind of lame but it's like the the depiction of um uh, terrorists as you know you've never seen them before or whatever or something that's closer to the reality of it is like quite challenging i think for mm-hmm. an audience to accept in a way that like i guess like corrupt and shitty fbi agents is not as challenging and it's like there was this interesting interview that he that um chris morris did when he was promoting the film with john snow where john snow was asking him about satire and he was um saying uh and John Snow was like, the world's too crazy now. You can't satirize it. And Morris was rejecting this and was like, you know, you can always satirize things. It's just about doing it in a way that properly skewers people rather than uh, what he called a performance for the court. Um, which I thought was a really good point. But it's also like, say, what, why this particular story you've chosen to tell, which while it obviously does skewer the FBI, is not a film that's actually challenging in a broader context. It's not really like making a splash, if you know what I mean. It's yeah. like, so, yeah. So it's an interesting, interesting one don't have any broader point to draw from that i just i would just like to see chris morris like maybe take on a subject matter that would you know startle people in 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 a way yeah i mean i mean i'm glad he's standing up for these people that got fucked over by the fbi yeah absolutely i mean yeah but i don't know i I went in thinking uh the fbi are kind of corrupt and racist and evil and uh it confirmed that so fbi bad job done film okay (laughs) yeah film okay fbi bad Looks like Sam's got a film to review, he's just getting ready now. Hey Sam, here's a few tips for you, that I hope are gonna help you out. You gotta come prepared, try not to rush, speak directly into the mic. Um, don't sort of use filler words too much, and try to avoid talking total shite. Okay, start reviewing now. I need another film of our time, something that really speaks to the core of where we are as a people. Unfortunately, like, I know you know this, and I know the listeners know that I'm a guy like who fucks, so... The Joker had no interest in me because it's like for incel. Because like, you've you're not you you've slept. I'm, with, I'm, a, I'm a chad. You've had <laughs> you've had se- sex before at least once. At least once. Um, yeah. So Joker. Everyone's talking about it, including this podcast. Um, this is the new film from Todd Phillips. Um, it's uh, part of. It's like a sort of standalone DC film. It doesn't seem to tie into the wider universe, and it's a sort of origin story for the iconic Batman villain of the Joker played in this case by Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, it's set in 1981 in uh, Gotham City, which is basically just New York in this particular incarnation. Sure. Um, and uh, it tells the story of a uh, loner called Arthur Fleck, who's uh, got uh, some severe mental illnesses, um, lives in a kind of dingy apartment with his mother, is sad, can't really make it as a stand-up comedian, finds the world crazy you know it's crazy out there oh shit uh, and gradually you know descends into uh uh worse and worse trouble gets more clown it becomes an evil clown you know he's something he's a clown at the beginning and then he gets he's a clown at the end but he's an evil one right by the end <laughs> and it's some kind of like comment on today or something like that but it's very serious uh Blimey. so uh i can't i wouldn't say i'm able to give a toast to even-handed review of this film because i kind of went in like wanting to hate it uh for various reasons and they were all confirmed by me watching the film so i came out so it satisfied me in that sense because i got i got what i wanted out of it which is to dislike it on very specific grounds um but yeah i don't i don't think that it is good 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the reason that people are uh, have been excited about this movie, or that you know that that like people enjoy it, is because it is is seen as a kind of refreshing take on a comic book film. Like you're sick of those like mass produced, boring yeah, comic book boring. blockbusters that are all the same. And this is like real cinema with like a real kind of Oscar type performance. I mean, in a way, it feels a bit like. Uh, you know Heath Ledger's iconic performance as the Joker and like the Dark Knight when that came out that was like comic book movies just got taken to the next level because they look you know this movie looks like Heat rather than looking like a stupid comic book film Um, and uh, that performance was seen as like a great acting role and worthy of awards praise and it's a bit like they took that as the challenge and it's like how do we make this even more prestige than the Dark Knight you know where do you go from Michael Mann Martin Scorsese this is going to be uh you know incredibly prestige uh cinema and when that was the kind of promise of it when it was announced and the plot very closely resembles the scorsese film king of comedy in which is about a failed comedian who wants to get on a television talk show and commits crimes uh in in order to you know to get to that point and it felt a little bit like a sort of elevator pitch type thing where it's like you know, what if that guy was just the Joker and it was like about the Joker? And it seemed to me like a bit of a lazy and glib way to um, kind of uh, transfer on the appearance of great cinema onto an already existing film, uh, but with a, co- with a comic book character. So that when you're watching it, rather than thinking, what is this Scorsese knockoff? You're thinking, what is this elevated comic book film? Sure. It's so prestigious and like so real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I feel that that is exactly what the film is. And I am a bit confused by why it has gathered quite as much praise as it has. And I think the, the film are critics more... are just shallow. I don't know. It just seems that they're very, it's just, they got duped, I feel like. Yeah. Um, and the joke's I kn- on them. The joke is on them. I mean, I know that it's, e- I don't know. It's a bit, it is a bit like cheap to say that in a way, because like, I already had this opinion just from hearing about the premise of the film. Uh, but I still am baffled at, like uh, what what it is that people think they're seeing in this i I saw this you know that like um variety does these breakdowns of like the director breaks down a scene and stuff um and i got this impression from todd phillips who's a himself a director of comedies he made the hangover movies he made that starsky and hutch film uh he directed old school um, road trip (laughs) war dogs recently um due date (laughs) many many classic films so he has this background in comedy uh, and he's he's sort of moving into the world of you know more serious cinema, um, and it just when when he was uh, talking, he was like doing this breakdown, and it was really he was really straining to to impress upon you how much deep thoughts had gone into everything. Like it was like the opening scene of the film, which shows Joaquin Phoenix um, applying his clown makeup in his dressing room, and they were like, he's a loner, which is why there's nobody around him. You know, it's like <laughs> things like that. Wow. Like he sort of cries a single tear and it's like, we didn't plan that. Joaquin's just, he was so intense and he just cried and we just used the shot. And there's things like the, uh, the credits of the, of, of the film were like uh, filmed themselves and then transferred onto the film in some kind of process. That's exactly like how they would have done it in the seventies or something. Of course. And when he was talking about it, he was always like, I wanted it to be so authentic to the time. Or I wanted to shoot it just like they would have shot it then and all this kinds of stuff. And it just feels like he doesn't have any, there's no distinction in his mind between making uh, like a clever film and just aping the aesthetic of a good director. Yeah. Like he just thinks that those two things are the same. And in terms of like what the movie is actually saying about society or about mental illness, um, it's very unclear. 
it, it really hinges almost entirely on a uh, really capital A acting performance from uh, Joaquin Phoenix as he's pulling every face ever. Like you've never seen a guy with so many facial expressions. He goes, he's just doing it all. Wow. Every scene, he's just going for it. Um, and uh, and it's a bit like, it's a sort of Joaquin Phoenix showcase. You know, he can contort his body into many positions. He dances, he screams. He's got this like, uh, condition that means he uncontrollably laughs uh, in, in, in inopportune moments, and when he's doing the laugh, it's like that's a good, you know, good laugh. I would, I probably can do one that was as good as that. Um, but it's just not clear what it's in service of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the whole thing seems rather hollow and empty. And I think is um, indicative of uh, of, a, of like a broader issue. It's it's not unlike something like Jurassic World, you know, yeah. where it's just something that gives the uh, it's like taking something that is very um, famous and loved and just giving you know using that as a kind of sheen to cover up what is a product you know that it's just the same crap it's just some repackaged yeah, yeah, crap. Yeah, yeah. So Jurassic World is like this isn't just a blockbuster. This is a Spielberg film. You know, so it's like a great blockbuster yeah, yeah. because it reminds you of Jurassic Park. Um, and uh, and this is just like this isn't a comic book film or just some kind of shit like film about a guy who's you know like goes mad or whatever. This is a Scorsese movie. This is like a big deal. Um, but it's very it's like a, just a cheap pastiche. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's also just in ridiculously over self serious. For me, what is good about the Joker as a character is that he makes jokes and he, <laughs> and he commits crimes. Yeah. You know, the, the appeal of a character is he's committing crimes and he's making jokes. Making jokes. I love to see that. In this film, he doesn't make, even though he's trying to do stand-up, he doesn't make any jokes. I mean, he sort of tries to do jokes during the stand-up, but they aren't very, they don't really land. They're not good. You know, so it doesn't, there's no fun whatsoever. Like, there's no kind of relief. There's yeah. not like Heath Ledger's Joker character is quite funny. Yeah. Um, and this one is not. And he also doesn't even commit like that many crimes. He probably oh, commits about, about like five crimes. Five crimes? Yeah. Uh, which, in my opinion, was not enough, um, and uh, yeah, it's just got it's just got nothing going on, and it's and it's not good. And it also has a uh, the the ending is a bit was this all a dream, which is also like the laziest, stupidest ending oh possible. God. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, don't recommend it. You know, don't don't go don't go see wow. it. Don't don't get don't Damn, don't man. reward this nonsense. It got like the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival, which is. It's rather baffling. My question is, why so serious? Like, non-ironically. Lighten this thing up a little bit. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. That was good. Thanks. See, that was a good joke. You should be the Joker. I I am the Joker on this podcast. We're both the Jokers. We're the two Jokers. Yeah. We need to do more crimes. Yeah. (laughs) Let's commit some crimes. So Hustlers, this has been out for a while, written directed by Lorene Scafaria, and it's based on an article in the New York Times by Jessica Presler. And in it, Constance Wu plays Destiny, a former stripper, and she is talking to a journalist called Elizabeth, played by Julia Stiles, about the events that led her and a group of other strippers to be arrested for fraud. And their crime was they would find a guy, not just Wall Street douche, get him blind drunk, and then take him to a strip club and charge him for loads of 
champagne and dances and all the most expensive amenities, but we wouldn't actually order any of this stuff. And then he would go home and like have a massive bill, but he obviously couldn't tell his wife that he spent 40 grand in a strip club. And then they would get a cut and the club would get a cut. And, you know, uh, great, great crime. Great crime. <laughs> Big fan of that crime. Um, but it's kind of mainly a kind of hangout movie and it kind of centers on her relationship with Ramona, a veteran superstar stripper played by Jennifer Lopez. Here's a clip of Destiny and Ramona hanging out on a rooftop shooting the breeze. Just two cool gals hanging out. I was a centerfold once. No way. Mm. 93. Way. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Back when Stevie Wonder came in. What the Stevie Wonder come to the club for? <laughs> Casey had him in the champagne room. Swears to God he's in blood. Wow. <laughs> How come you're so good? I see you with every single kind of guy and I don't know, it's like you have them all figured out. I guess I'm just a people person. So this has been out for a while. It's done amazing business at the box office. The box office. The box office even. Hot off the blocks office. Hot off the blocks office. And I uh, really enjoyed it, but I think I'm a little cooler on it than most people. Uh, there's two things I really liked about it. First of all, I just like the whole uh, female-centric sex-positive look at stripping where the characters... Uh, you know, they have agency. They've made a decision to be strippers. They're not victims anyway. They're, you know, in that kind of attitude. I don't know. I'm not really au fait with the cinema's history of stripping movies, but that's <laughs> quite refreshing. And uh, I also, uh, like everyone else, think Jennifer, think Jennifer Lopez is amazing in it. She is like a superstar. It's this effortless, brilliant performance. And every time she's on screen, it's kind of mesmerizing. And she somehow completely sells being a movie star, but uh, an authentic blue collar lady at the same time, which is kind of her thing. She's from the block, right? She's yeah, but Despite she's always playing having a lot. There's probably maybe an essay to be written about like Latino representation in films, but she's always playing kind of blue collar characters. Maybe mm. just because she's Latino, right? Quite possibly, yeah. Could be just a bit of racism, but anyway. She is great in it, and my main problem is that the movie is not as exciting and bold as her performances, and it's a bit like she's so good as almost to the detriment of the film. Uh, the crime, what I sort of thought was a missed opportunity was that like the crime isn't that complicated or interesting, and the movie doesn't waste any time sort of investigating it. Is it about like uh, you know the kind of these Robin Hood figures? Uh, is it about gender equality? And uh, I don't know Scafaria doesn't really uh, d dedicate any time to that because her uh, priority it seems is just being positive and affirmative. And there's lots of like montages of them like spending money and fucking over the dudes. But it's almost like the tone of the movie is not suited to the subject matter. And it's almost like if you removed the crime, it would be a, if it was just a kind of hangout movie about strippers. That would be better. It's almost like the crime is distracting. Right, right. Yeah. Because it's uh, it kind of throws up all these interesting dramatic avenues which the film doesn't explore. And also, I didn't quite, I didn't like the sort of happiness as just having money and shit to uh, buy. It's just quite a sort of commer uh, consumerist. A consumerist movie, yeah. Yeah. It was not necessarily a bad thing, but I don't know. Didn't, didn't care for that kind of stuff. Uh, this is going to sound like the most obvious comparison in the world, but it. Reminded me most of like Magic Mike XXL, 
in that it's just about a group comprising of one gender hanging out and it's a lot about a lot of the scenes are just not that plot orientated but it's just the girls shooting the breeze being supportive being nice all that stuff i thought was great and uh, the direction is a bit good fellasy where it's like lots of needle drops and montages and voiceovers and it keeps things moving but it's not as propulsive as like scorsese or scorsese's movies and it's got this quite nostalgic quality to it a lot of the movies set like pre the crash and it's a bit like the director things like uh you know before the a bit naughty is a good time after 9-11 there was like a sweet spot where <laughs> things were like good as like, i'm not sure 2007 was that great yeah yeah uh but i kind of i just liked it as a different kind of blockbuster there are no explosions or guns or it's not saying anything up it's a contained story uh it mainly has like very few male characters and i saw it in a packed screening and it was definitely playing to his audience i think maybe it's a part partly the sort of female centric stuff it's got all the cool actors in it and also uh if you're like a child of the 90s it's got a lot of like bangers from the mid noughties in it uh but yeah i was slightly maybe like positive the lukewarm on it because it's kind of like a hangout movie with like this kind of crime plot attached yeah and then it's almost like the 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 crime plot is, the plot is distracting from what the movie is about which is just like women buying shit and like <laughs> buying each other's nice stuff and like being supportive and i also think constance Wu isn't that good it's like again jennifer lopez is such a superstar that i don't quite buy their friendship like, i don't think they would be friends in real life mm. like jennifer lopez has like chemistry with like the carpet she's walking on and like constance Wu just like doesn't yeah so uh, you think that it should be about a friendship between jennifer lopez and the carpet well, I just the carpet would be it's a, it's a much two-hander. It's, it's a very starry supporting role because she is the superstar strip everyone loves. And yeah, it's Jennifer yeah, yeah. Lopez. So right. It's a bit of like stunt casting that works. Yeah, and Constance Wu has like the harder part because she's the sort of ingenue who becomes uh, like her confidant, and they've got like this weird push and pull relationship. But I just don't think she's quite up to it. I would say fair enough. Um, sorry, Constance. should have been Seth Rogen. Should have been Seth Rogen or me. <laughs> oh yeah, you'd be a good ingenue. Yeah, yeah, I would, wouldn't I? Yeah, you would. So, yes, I didn't feel hustled out of my money I spent to see it because I enjoyed it, but not as much as some. But I can say that about most things, couldn't I? So, not as much as some, more than some others. More than some others. And if that's not a clear <laughs> indication of my opinion of the film, I don't know what is. My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends And the terrorists try to stop her But she beats them in the end I'm going to review this film at Astra Because I went to see it And this is a film where we talk about films that we saw And I'm, you know, not going to miss that opportunity uh, Directed by James Gray Who recently made uh, The Lost City of uh, Z Or Z, depending on how you want to pronounce that letter uh, This is a kind of uh, cerebral sci-fi space adventure film Starring Brad Pitt I saw the trailer for it. I thought it'd be a kind of like Apollo 13 man on a mission type film. But instead, it's one of those more like journey into outer space is really a journey into my own mind, kind of existential type of, type of films, outer space, inner space. Um, the plot is basically, it's set in like the near future, which basically means that like slightly mad things can just happen during the plot. And it's the explanation is it's the future. So that's what goes on there. Um, and uh, 
the beginning of the film, uh, Brad Pitt, he's a super duper astronaut with like a resting heart rate of like two or something. Um, and uh, he has like a, an, an accident um, while at work on a, on a massive space uh, construct due to like a surge of antimatter or something that's coming out of from space. Oh, God. And it turns out to be uh, related to a project um, to find alien life that uh, his father, um, who is also a he- heroic astronaut um, in whose shoes he's uh, walking, whatever, whose shoes he's trying to fill. Sure. Um, and Brad Pitt ends up being sent out to the furthest reaches of space to find out why his um, dad is sending antimatter surges that could destroy the Earth. Uh, so it's a slightly sort of like hokey sci-fi plot, um, and it basically alternates between um, scenes of uh, Brad Pitt looking very sad and ruminating, and there's a kind of like Terrence Malick-esque uh, voiceover that, where he kind of you know wonders what's up with his dad and talks about how repressed he is, um, and, then, and then the occasional uh, action sequence uh, intervenes um it's very handsomely mounted it's beautifully shot by um hoyt van hoytema is that is yeah, he the yeah. guy who did uh, skyfall and interstellar uh, yeah so it looks it looks really really nice the action sequences there's like one bit which in retrospect is just quite funny uh, but at the time i was like fully buying it he first the first stop on the journey to space is the moon of course um and he's got to get from one moon base to another um, and they're just informed that for some reason there's like a war on the moon so they get attacked and it's a sort of like Mad Max type sequence by like moon raiders and it's just like there's war here so you've got to <laughs> there'll be a fight that goes on uh, and it has nothing to do with anything but it's like well shot sequence so it looks quite cool um, and I just felt like it had kind of diminishing returns and that by the end uh, it didn't really have very much to say Sim- similarly maybe it makes this a cruel you know comparison for the film so I think it was much better than Joker but it has a slightly similar thing of like dripping with prestige but not having a message oh we've got a lot of themes here yeah exactly like full of (laughs) themes but not actually saying something and i really just like i think a lot of why you know sweeping statement coming up a lot of why cultural products are bad is just because people have to come up with something but they don't actually have a message you know like they don't have a reason to make the film like they just like the style that they want to pursue or like you know images they want to do whatever they didn't actually have much to say with them and I think that Ad Astra is a little bit guilty of that. Uh, by the end of the film, it kind of you know, reduces in scale a little bit and then uh, ends in a slightly hokey way. This daddy issue stuff is very familiar um, and I don't feel like I had much new to say about it. But it's still a very beautiful film. So if you enjoy looking at that kind of thing um, and looking at Brad Pitt, looking at that kind of thing, then, um, then you might like it. Sure. When Zach Raff heard something that changed his life, what he listened to? When John Cusack made a mixtape for his future wife, what did she listen to? And when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? When Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, which record did he choose? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, right, I've got a... I've got to. I've got to leave. Okay. Well, but did we? Did we, was there anything else you wanted to? No. Got nothing else to say. Nothing else to say. I've got nothing else to. Contribute. Nothing else to say. I feel like a man who can't tell good jokes. I might go commit some crimes. <laughs> Give me something to do. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go commit some crimes. Um, crimes of passion. Some crimes of passion. <laughs> With my good lady friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. Gonna go do that. 
<laughs> what are we? Uh, what, what, what's coming up? We got uh, the Shaun the Sheep sequel. Looking forward to that. That's going to be film of the I year. I can review the film uh, Monos, which won Best Film at the London Film Festival. Sneak peek of my review. It's absolute garbage. <laughs> 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 Don't go see it. All right. Look forward to that hatchet job. Um, until then, have a lovely time, everyone who's listening to this. So, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye now. Let's do it. Hi, I'm Todd Phillips, director of Joker, and today we're going to do a couple scene breakdown from the opening of the movie. The main job of a director, even all this stuff we talk about, cameras and depth of field and sets and wardrobe, I think really what a director is, is, is a purveyor of tone. I think the thing I'm most proud about this film is that unsettling tone. Everything in the movie is meant to be unsettling, so anytime we kind of move the camera intentionally like this, it was always to give off this kind of unsettling vibe of this guy who's pretty much separated from everybody else, even in this locker room space. You hear the voices of four or five guys over here playing cards and talking about whatever, and Arthur's here alone, kind of not part of the group, figuring out uh, how to keep a smile on his face. And one of the themes in the film is smile and the, the idea of putting on a happy face. His mother told him um, that he was born to bring joy and laughter into the world. It was something that Arthur wrestles with throughout the movie. So in this scene, we find him as he's literally pulling up his mouth and putting down his mouth, sort of fighting the comedy tragedy that is his life. I remember when I was making a movie called Starsky and Hutch with Ben Stiller, I, I wanted Ben running in this opening thing, I forget what it was, and, uh, and Ben kept saying, why is he running so much? And I said, I feel like you never really know somebody until you see them run. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com <laughs> <laughs> 